podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. But the question is, viewers, are you brave enough to throw an apple in a bin? Are you not afraid to miss? Have you ever received a nod and a smile from your father? If not, you simply will never match up to Michael Owen. I'm sorry to break it to you. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. It is Monday (laughs) evening. It's time for our Monday night review. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends. Let's start with Adam. Adam, hey, Rory and... Ben, how you doing, guys? All right, mate. Good to have you back on. How are we doing, boys? Everything good? Good weekend? Yeah, yeah, very good. It's very chilled out vibes. I'm sure we all uh, kind of reminisce about our relative weekends in terms of footballing chances as well. Um, but I do feel sorry for Jamie. Do you remember Jamie from that Michael Owen show? And uh, he was that goalkeeper that got bullied by Michael Owen's kind of taunts uh, every time he took a shot. And uh, Neville Southall with that famous yeah. clip. He's only 13, Michael. <laughs> well, done. well done, he's 13, yeah. yeah absolutely. Oh Fantastic. Just when you think Mike Lowen can't come out with any more cringe stuff, was that on that? It was that oh. no tippy tap football. Was that the podcast yeah. that he was on? <laughs> I think I think it was a Simon Jordan. It was either that oh, or the Simon, Simon Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, either what? Either, either or way. whether it's him or Allardyce, <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, so, absolutely yeah, classic. Man. I saw that on Instagram. I had to double take, and it got sent to me by a, at least three friends of people just like this. You'll enjoy this. Um, so if you've not seen it, we'll share it on Instagram at some point. But fantastic stuff, Ben. How was your weekend? We were saying off mic, you've broken your duck on the Anglo Italian yeah. pod. It's your first decent weekend, right? I'm here after a win for the first time. <laughs> Can't believe it. Just sad, sad in the knowledge though that I will never be as much of a man as Michael Owen, and that ah. is what hurts. You know, still, I'm still, still searching for that approval. Just throwing apples in the bin all day. We all have to learn that lesson one day, right? It comes to us at some point. Um, good. Well, today we have lots to talk about. I unfortunately have to talk about Arsenal. Um, we are going to be talking about Spurs. We'll be talking about Manchester United. They made me feel better about myself again. Um, and we'll be talking about, uh, what was the other one? I can't remember. Oh, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, maybe? And then in Serie A, we had... Again, good versus evil. The boring, deathly boring Juventus against the absolutely thrilling Inter Milan as the title race continues. The misery piled on for Pioli ahead of a big week for him. Um, And, of course, Roma. The always chaotic Roma seeing two red cards in what was a pretty monumental game. Um, But we are going to start in the Premier League and we're going to start in the Midlands as Emery and Emmy Martinez come back to horn Arsenal. Um, just a miserable evening all around, I think. Just a pretty miserable evening. Like, I'll get, I'll give my take on it and then see if you guys agree with me. Um, I think Arsenal were overall the better team. I think we deserved at least a point. I think once Aston Villa started the game really well, first 10 minutes, we couldn't get into it. And when they scored, I was genuinely scared. Like, oh, this could be two or three now. I think they could actually run at us. But the game didn't go that way. And... Villa Park went really quiet, and I think that was because of Arsenal. We managed to get the control over the game. We managed to dominate the ball, impose our game. But ultimately, the thing that cost us the game was not having that cutting edge and potentially not having depth off the bench. Like I think mm. if Erdegaard 
is back to his normal form and not first season Erdegaard. He scores both those chances. Um, I think Bukayo Saka was unlucky with some shots. Martinez made some good saves. But ultimately, I think the fault lies at Arsenal's door because we weren't able to get that final ball and and, and put it in the back of the net, ultimately. Um, ben, I'll go to you. How did you see Arsenal's performance? Do you strongly agree or disagree with anything I've said? No, I completely agree. It was Honestly, I was watching it with my mate who's an Arsenal fan and it was one of the weirdest... I feel like... We've probably said this multiple times this season because of how weirdly batshit the Premier League has been. But that was one of the weirdest games of football I've watched in a long time. It just there were certain like patterns in the first half and second half that I just like couldn't really get my head around what I was watching on the pitch. It was like so congested in the middle. Mm-hmm. And um but yeah, it in terms of Arsenal's performance, you kind of did everything but score, really, wasn't it? It was like, you know, there will obviously be um, there was obviously a game, another game kind of laced with controversy. But again, like you said, I think the responsibility falls at Arsenal's door for not taking the chances. It was just kind of that lack of conviction, mm. really, in the final third, because some of the build up play and some of the work into the box, you know, it was that classic Arsenal, Man City, even those kind of cutbacks to Odegaard or some of the chances that you fashioned out. And it was almost like you're waiting for the net to bulge, as you kind of have been with Arsenal for the last couple of years since you've kind of been back playing the football that we're all kind of accustomed to. But yeah, it was a funny game. Really, really strange. And I think Arsenal will be kicking themselves, especially with Liverpool going top and having the chance to go back top on Saturday night. Um, yeah, strange game. But I mean, credit to Villa for digging in. I think Villa looked a little bit like Newcastle did yesterday. They looked they looked shattered after that they game. They looked knackered, yeah. didn't they? They did look knackered. There was yeah, a yeah. period in the second half where it was just like, and I think they did well to dig in and get the result in the end, but I think Arsenal will be kicking themselves after that. Yeah, I think it, there was a point. I was never worried at any point during the game. I was like, oh, we'll score. It's fine. We're going to get a goal. Look at us. We we have to score. And then it got to like the 89th minute, and I was like, okay, starting to get a little bit nervous now. But it genuinely, like, I think Jamie Carragher said it on cons as well. He was like, well, it's inevitable that Arsenal score, and if the game continues like this, just didn't get that cutting edge. But I think Aston Villa, and you touched on an interesting point there, I think what Emery did really well, and it annoyed me because I never saw him manage a game this well when he was at Arsenal, was he timed his substitutions perfectly Mm. and he replaced exactly the right players and he brought in energy exactly on the pitch where it needed it. So when he brought off Dino and brought on Moreno, because Dino was having a bit of a torrid time against Saka towards the end, brought on Moreno, completely shut that off. He took off Tielemans, right? Brought on Cameron, no, Jacob Ramsey. Yeah, brought on Dendonka, completely shut down the Mm -hmm. midfield. And I think he just timed his substitutions perfectly. And I think there was a point there where Emery just coached and managed that game perfectly. And I think he showed that he at least was able to get more out of the options he had on his bench than Arteta was Mm -hmm. able to get out of the options that we had on ours. So I think Emery really showed how this was just a well-managed game. Um, but Adam, we're going to go to you. For Villa, it was a really, really different performance from against Man City. Like Man City, were, yeah, and maybe yeah. it is as Ben touched on, they were absolutely knackered by the end of it. Like yeah, yeah. going head-to-head against City and Arsenal at home in a row is going to be a tough. But why do you think the performance was so different? It, it, they didn't seem to be like dominating the ball or pinning Arsenal in as much as they did against City. I think maybe they would have learned a little bit from that Luton game midweek as well. Mm. Um, I think that played a huge part in terms of the way that maybe they felt that the wings were going to be the areas that you were going to try and exploit. But maybe it was just a case of as long as we can kind of compete in those areas, make sure that we don't concede too much on those kind of sides. um, 
you really do struggle in the middle of the park, it does feel at times. Mm-hmm. Like Obviously, Odegaard should have probably done better with at least two of the chances that I will allude to as well. Um, but other than that, I felt like you struggled to have like a game or plan B kind of to this game. Like you didn't really know what else you could do against Villa. And I think you, we spoke offline, obviously the defence were there to be got at, if that makes sense. They obviously were shattered from midweek as well against Man City, which, you know, that we talk superlatives about the way that they pinned City. Now that takes a hell of a doing for any yeah, side, yeah. right? Um, but I think it was quite um, interesting, something that I heard on another podcast, which was if you t- look at the substitution options, um, that side in terms of Villa's substitutions could make a side in the Premier League. Like they wouldn't look out of sorts, right? Whereas for Arsenal, I think genuinely that's probably the question is that you don't have like enough depth to kind of change the game. And I know Trossard was brought on, but... Trossard's kind of replaced Martinelli is not the kind of same effect. Mm. I thought Martinelli actually were getting the right through balls to him, but maybe his decision-making in the final third or some of what he was doing wasn't right or wasn't in the right positions. And I don't think Enketi is the right kind of bloke to come on to replace Gabriel Jesus and make an impact. I think Mm -hmm. he's someone that you need to kind of, maybe you should have started with him to run that kind of defence a bit more ragged potentially. So I think Arteta got outdone by Emery in that respect, as you alluded to, great substitutions by Unai Emery. And I think maybe that's the kind of difference between the two is that Mm -hmm. tactically Emery masterminded Arteta here. Yeah, no, I think he definitely got the upper hand. I think Eddie Nketiah is a really interesting one because his record when he starts games and his record when he comes off the bench are like stark differences. Mm -hmm. He barely ever scores when he comes off the bench. But when he starts games, he does tend to get one goal, two goals. Like his record is actually fairly decent. So I think him coming off the bench, at no point did I think he was going to come on and score. I had no. more hope in Reese Nelson coming on and scoring <laughs> than I did with Eddie Nketiah. So I was like, well, you know, that Bournemouth goal will always live with me. But if we're talking about Eddie Nketiah, and I, I said after the game that I think VAR got it right with the Kai Havertz goal, right? I know Matty Cash handled mm-hmm. it first. I, I've since seen. But the handball rule is different for defenders than it is for attackers. And we don't have time to get into that conversation, but it is. So the referee got that right. The decision that did confuse me, there was two. And at the time, I didn't think it was. But then I remembered the penalty that Liverpool got. (laughs) And I thought, why didn't we get that penalty for Gabriel Jesus? Mm -hmm. Now, I know Gabriel Jesus was looking for it. It wasn't his standing leg. It would have been soft. But Palace, sorry, got the penalty against Liverpool for a very, very similar tackle. Now, I don't think that's a penalty. But when I see it given for someone else as a penalty... I expect it to be given for my team as a penalty as well. So that one confused me. But, sorry... The one that really wound me up, and it's because it's the second time it's happened to us this season, is the Diego Carlos elbow on Eddie Nketiah. Now, with Bruno Gr- Grimaraes, they said it wasn't his elbow, it was his forearm, and that's why it's not ascending off. With Diego Carlos, they said he's not stuck his arm out enough for it to be an elbow, so it's not an elbow. I cannot get my head around what a player has to do to be sent off against Arsenal at this point because it's just not happening for us. That's two of our players that have been assaulted on the pitch and Diego Carlos only got a yellow after he went to look at it. I don't see how that's not a red. Like, Ben, what did you make of that decision? It still pisses me off. Yeah, that is such a weird one because it is almost like the tolerance. VAR's kind of made a rod for its own back, really, with the high bar Mm. and the clear and obvious thing. It's just like such a nonsense. Like... For me, the penalty, I still think it would, would have been harsh and would have been mm-hmm. soft. But with that Diego Carlos one, the whole thing about like 
it's not his elbow, it's his forearm. That doesn't matter for me. Like that shouldn't matter. If, like, if you put your arm purposely across someone's face with force, whether it's elbow or not, the only difference is an elbow is more likely to hurt than if it's just mm-hmm. your forearm. But you know what you're doing. There's a difference sometimes where you see it with instance with defenders where they put their arm across just to kind of get that space and they accidentally brush mm-hmm. someone in the face. That happens mm-hmm. all the time. Like that's not a problem. But for me, it was the fact that like, when they showed a replay with the ball going over the top, it was almost like Carlos had a bit of a look and then he sort of, and then he turned around again and did it. It was almost, it was so weird. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I can't believe he wasn't sent off. And it kind of does feel like, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't sure about the penalty, but you would have seen other instances that probably would have been a red card in other games. And the Bruno Gimaraes one against you, like that wasn't just for one incident either. No, it no, was he almost like mad. he was yeah. he was on like a warp. It was like he had mm-hmm. it against PSG. I don't know whether it was the same week or mm-hmm. it was a few weeks before the Arsenal game, but he did it against PSG as well and got away with it massively. And it's just like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? So sometimes I know we'll come on to Spurs, but like I have the issue with Romero where it's almost like he goes out seeking <laughs> it sometimes. And it felt with Gimarais against you and against PSG that it was like that. Mm-hmm. And Carlos Maybe not as much, but the fact that it did look like to me that he turned around, had a look, and then did it, it was yeah, really, really odd. But the penalty, I think the penalty is interesting because it kind of comes back to this whole thing, and they were saying it on Match of the Day on Saturday night, that if that gets given, it doesn't get overturned. And that's where mm-hmm. you kind of, again, making a rod for your own back, really, because I think it would have been harsh. I think it is quite soft. I think, the, I think it slightly differs from the Liverpool one just because... Um, I know Jesus gets to the ball before Douglas Luiz, but I think it's Mateta almost gets in front of Quanta and Quanta yeah. then kicks through him. Whereas I think with the Jesus and Luiz one, the ball's coming over like both their shoulders mm-hmm. and it's just a case of who gets there first. And I think there's also an argument to say, and this is a frustration that I have with Jesus sometimes as, you know, obviously not an Arsenal fan, but he would wind me up a little bit because it's almost like if he'd have got up, he yeah. was in. Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. he throws himself around a little bit too much. And I think... You know, with VAR, you'd like to think that um, almost referees' bias or judgment has kind of come out of it when they look at certain players and their reputation, whether it precedes them or not. You'd like to think that's completely gone out of the game. But I do think Jesus sometimes makes it difficult for himself to get decisions because there are so many times where he should just stay on his feet and doesn't do it. That said, like I said, the kind of hypocrisy in all of it is that if it was probably given... I don't think that gets overturned at all. Yeah, yeah. I think they just have a quick look and it's like, yeah, penalty. Yeah, yeah. I find, I find it like at the time I was shouting at the screen to Hazel's like, get up, like, just <laughs> yeah. get up and get, continue. <laughs> but then like, it, was, it wasn't it was a decision that really pissed me off at the time. The one that did was, was Diego Carlos. Because I just, as you said, he takes a look and then he just full on swings. And yeah. I just felt like... Weird. He he had such a fantastic game against us. He was amazing. Yeah. He's a very, very, very good centre-back. I was, like, his passing range, everything, he's incredible. It would have been really useful for him to have been sent off for that for the last <laughs> 10 minutes or whatever it would have been. Um, so I was really, really disappointed in that. But we have to give um, Aston Villa credit. 15 wins in a row. Um, Emmy Martinez comes up massive. Um Adam, who were the standout players for you for Aston Villa? Um, I think John McGinn also absolutely ran the show, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you've probably stolen my thunder with that one. But John McGinn obviously run it. I felt like his determination and continued kind of running was the kind of pedestal for Aston Villa. Um, Other than that, Leon Bailey continues to be the shining kind of light. I think his runs in in particular down that side really caused a lot of issues again. 
Uh, Bubakar Kamara again. I mean, there was a number of players again. I could be talking about Rory, but I think they're the three main ones that really stood mm-hmm. out for me. But like you say, the impacts of those substitutions as well. I think they played a huge part. Then Donka just to shut off any potential attacks in the middle, as well as Alex Moreno, who we know can do a massive job as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, loads, loads of applauds for us, uh, Aston Villa, should I say? Um, from an Arsenal point of view, though, I think the one thing that I would say is a bit of concern that there isn't much more imagination within the team itself to kind of change things up as well. There's so much reliance on their key players, should we say. And mm-hmm. um, we didn't really see much kind of impetus in terms of the other players kind of trying to take the game to Aston Villa, I felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that was just to play to the game plan, but... I feel that's something that maybe they need to learn, that they need to think by themselves as well sometimes. Yeah, I feel like it got a bit... Once we couldn't really figure out the 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 offside trap, we kind of ran out of ideas. And it was yeah. I was waiting for Zinchenko to just drop that ball over the top, but he wasn't getting in the spaces. I thought he had a pretty good game, but he wasn't getting in the right spaces. I feel like we just didn't have that... Yeah, didn't have that plan B. And that offside trap, obviously the numbers in the league show you just how effective that is because the numbers that Aston Villa have caught players offside is like 50 times higher. There's 50 times more than the next team, I think. Like it's through the roof. But yeah, yeah, we should have been able to really kind of come up with a plan B. Disappointing night overall, but in both the games we've lost, I don't think we've deserved to lose the game and I've not yet seen a team outclass us. So I'm taking those as positives coming from like last year when City just dunked on us twice and a lot of crap. We're definitely the second best team. We've kind of come and been like, okay, the two games we've lost, I think you could argue we deserved a point and this is all progress Mm. on the road. But we're going to leave Arsenal there for now. Thank God I can get on with. Just forget this ever happened. And Ben, we are going to go to Spurs. They bounce back. It's been a long... It's been a bit of a wait, but Newcastle were more than accommodating. Um, Spurs 4, Newcastle 1. Take us through this game. Um, how did it go? Well, it was kind of, in hindsight, I think Newcastle were probably the perfect opposition for us because they did look tired. They looked leggy, but we were brilliant. And I don't think that should take anything away from that. I think we saw on Thursday night how frustrated and angry Postacoglu was off the back of the West Ham game, saying that, you know, He's kind of shouldered a lot of the responsibility for how for this tricky run and said that, look, I'm asking the boys to play in this way. And if it doesn't work, it's on me. But he did kind of pivot away from that on Thursday night and said, look, we're playing the football that I want us to play. We're getting in the right areas. It's down to the players to be more clinical. And, you know, Postacoglu, I don't think for how charming he can be in the media, I don't think he's the sort of manager that you necessarily want to disappoint. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think he probably got a good rocket up their ass on Thursday night and into uh, through training into the game on Sunday. And, you know, Newcastle looked good early on. They had a couple of chances over the top. Ben Davis, brilliant clearance to deny Isaac. And I think Ben Davis, we talked about before, I think he's a player that I don't feel is deser- or is deserving of being lumped in with some of the other players in the squad when it comes to that level of criticism he faced. He's been such a brilliant servant for Tottenham. And I think he's done more than enough to show that he's an able deputy to Van der Ven stepping in. Um, and then once we kind of got rode that storm a little bit from Newcastle at the start, those chances... We really stamped our authority on the game and I thought we were excellent. I actually said in a, my review yesterday that I thought that was our best performance of the season. And I think you can mm. maybe get led astray by the scoreline in terms of that aspect. You know, that's kind of, other than Burnley, that's probably the biggest battering we've given a team. Um, that was 5-2 away. This was 4-1 at home against a genuine top four rival. And I think we were well worthy of it. And I think it could have been more. 
And I, what I really liked about it was on Thursday, we created more than enough opportunities to score without creating enough chan- proper chances. Mm-hmm. Whereas yesterday, we created chance after chance after chance after chance. And, you know, it's about the quality of chances as well, right? If you get to positions like Son was getting into to cut it back from the byline, when you've got a box full of players uh, there to score, it's going to work eventually. And I thought Postacoglu got it completely right in his team selection as soon as it came out when we was in the ground yesterday, that felt like the right thing to do. That felt like the best way to get the best out of the players that were available to him with Kulusevski thriving again in the 10. He was excellent again yesterday. It was very, very hard to pick a man of the match Mm -hmm. for me. And we'll come on to a couple other players shortly. But um, I think it was kind of almost vindication for Postacoglu. And what I loved was it was the third goal, um, Richardson's second. Postacoglu... Um, we talked about it after the City game where every time we score, he almost doesn't see it as, you know, he kind of just, well, that's what we're supposed to do and kind of yeah, just gives yeah. a little almost like mm. fist bump to himself and he's doesn't show much emotion and doesn't really let go. But when Pedro Porro played that ball over the top to Richarlison and then Pedro Porro ran over to Postacoglu like a child, you know, <laughs> almost like to their dad, it was like you saw Postacoglu let go a bit and he had that smile beaming across his face and I think he would have been delighted with the performance yesterday. I think... There were so many standout players. I thought Pat Matasar was arguably, if he didn't come off at 70, 75 minutes, he would have been my man of the match. He was mm-hmm. absolutely everywhere. Pedro Porro, of course, was amazing. Again, Destiny Doggy getting his first goal. Um, new contract as well today, which is massive for us. Mm-hmm. And they did some brilliant, really good analysis on Match of the Day 2 last night about Tottenham's fullbacks and how you know how involved they are in the build-up, but also how involved they are in the key moments. And you saw mm-hmm. that with the doggy getting the goal yesterday, making that vertical run into the box after he just laid it off. What I love about a doggy is that you wouldn't look at him and think he's he's not... I'm trying to find the best way to say this because I don't want to make it seem like he's not as good of a player as he actually is, but he just does all of the simple things incredibly yeah. well. He's not he flashy look, at all. No. He's not flashy. He just does his job and he's very, very good at it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And for you know, so to have such a mature, I know you know, you could maybe question the Chelsea game, the lack of poise and composure with the red card that he got, or red card that he should have got followed up the way by the red card mm-hmm. he did get. Um, but he's just got such kind of composure for someone that young, and you know, to be basically on the goal line to score that yesterday, um, was was amazing. And they were both they were both brilliant. Kulusevski, like I said, was great. Son looks so much more like himself compared to some of the previous games where he's having to be battling with centre-backs um, that, you know, kind of too big for him. And he's doing a, you know, kind of having to do a, a job on his own up front, really. Whereas in some games, it does really work for Tottenham because he is so mm-hmm. clinical. And if you create the chances. But back out on the left yesterday, he looked like that kind of 1v1 dribbly winger that we've been missing. Getting to the byline, roasting Trippier, going on mm-hmm. both sides, that classic sort of son step over and low drill ball into the box. And um, yeah, it was, it was a brilliant performance. And just... A little bit of vindication for sticking to your principles for Postacoglu after what's been a tough run. So yeah, really, no, really I think it, I think it was really like obviously you're popping the fact Spurs. It was really good to see. I do like Ange, <laughs> um, and I think what surprised me the most was Richie Hollison getting two goals. I'll be honest. Yeah. I saw all the um, all the stories about it. maybe he might be leaving or patience was running out, and then his timing as ever was very very good. Two goals for him, uh, fantastic performance from Spurs as you said. But Adam. 
Newcastle. This is they've taken a few batterings this season. It feels like they've had a few performances that have been less than ideal. Is mm-hmm. this purely down to the fact that they've barely got a squad and everyone's knackered, or do you think there are deeper problems here? Because um, when you look at the starting eleven, it's still not terrible. They've still got Isaac, no. Gordon, Almiron, Jolinton, Livramento. Obviously, the cells and Shaw. Like ideally. Probably they'd have Botman in there, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, but Trippy is still starting, obviously. Um, Pope not being there, but there's still that first 11 is enough that you think to put out a better performance than they did. I'd say so, but I think there's a element of fatigue in this as well. Um, purely because obviously, if we're saying the injury crisis that they're experiencing right now, I said, an impacts you can imagine those same kind of players not having the same amount of time to rest and regroup, mm-hmm. and I think. There was always going to be this kind of sentiment that this season was going to be challenging because this first time that they got back into the Champions League and on top of it, it wasn't a straightforward group stage, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. um, so that probably plays a huge part. But I always knew there was going to be that mentality aspect of you're going from Champions League on a Wednesday night to then playing in the league on a Sunday or Monday night and you're having to repeat that cycle for a number of days and weeks. Um, so you can imagine that they haven't got a l- enough time to either recoup or you know practice out little scenarios as well. And if you imagine you're based in Newcastle as well, traveling doesn't come lightly for mm. them guys either. So I think that plays a huge part in it. But yeah, like you say, obviously the quality within the team is strong enough. But I would say, look, it was always going to play a huge part in, especially with Eddie Howe and the way that he wants to kind of structure his teams as well. It's all about getting the right kind of mentality. And I think that's where it's starting to really come to the vein right now where they're struggling a little bit. I'm sure once Sven Botman returns into the squad, I think that solidifies that defence and maybe like helps them out a bit. But I think obviously their concentration now is that Champions League game against Milan. And that's going to be an interesting one to see how... They play it and also the personnel that they'll choose because they haven't got many to choose from at this moment in time. Because if you're beyond that kind of first 11, you've got kids, essentially. Mm. There's not yeah. much that you can bring off the bench. So it's going to be hugely testing for Eddie Howe. Um, but you look, every team's going to go through this rut, I feel, at this moment in time because you can see it with a number of teams having a bit of an injury crisis like Spurs we mentioned pre- previously. Yeah, yeah. So it will come good eventually. It just feels like we might have to wait at least a month before we start seeing it. And an interesting point, actually, Newcastle haven't won more than one away game this season and that was against Sheffield United when they beat them 8-1. Um, so, yeah, they haven't been great away from home as well. Good. I quite like that. I'm looking forward to him coming to the Emirates. I'll be, I'll be looking forward <laughs> to that one. Um, but we're going to leave that one there, I think. Um, but it does, you're right, it does make it quite interesting for Milan. Now, you can never predict Milan, but all of a sudden mm. I might be giving them a slight shout, but we'll be talking about Milan later. <laughs> Maybe I'm being optimistic. Um, but we're going to move on to a game that I sat and watched Saturday afternoon, and I loved every <laughs> second of it because Schadenfreude is my favourite emotion. Bournemouth 3, Manchester United nil, or Manchester United nil, Bournemouth 3, more importantly. Um, Dominic Solanke with an absolutely beautiful back heel little finish past, um, past Anana. A performance that just when you think Manchester United can't get any worse, they just surprise you again. I think, um, Adam, I'm going to go to you first, but mm-hmm. I quickly want to talk about how Bruno Fernandes from the first minute 
was bitching at the ref and moaning and complaining from the first kick. It was insane. And he just set the tone of the whole performance. And the second Bournemouth scored that goal, it only took him, what, six minutes, seven minutes? It didn't take him long. <laughs> but from that, he was just bitching the entire 90 minutes. I think, how is anything meant to start at this team? How is anyone meant to be inspired into anything if your captain is more bothered about how he looks and just moaning at the ref than actually trying to play ball and trying to do anything. Like, we've talked about Manchester United's problems so much, but were you even surprised by this performance? Because I was, in a way, I was surprised. I think we kind of speculated that they might win, right? Bournemouth in this mm. respect. And I, thought, I fancied it. Yeah, exactly. And I think we all kind of fancied it based on the form that they kind of portrayed. Maybe not the 3-0 win, <laughs> maybe like a 2-1 win, maybe, but 3-0. It should have been 4-0, personally, should have been four in my five, eyes. Really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just the way they approached it, as you alluded to, was just awful. And there's like clips that have come out about them doing training and they can't put three passes together now. And that, that kind of tells you all you need to know about the state of just the players as well. Like we knew about the rumours that have come out recently about players just turning up when they want to, not being called up on it as well. Um, but there is just a really bad attitude. And as you alluded to, it doesn't help that your captain sets the tone, right? And it looks like he was deliberately trying to make sure he was suspended. And as it is, he is now suspended anyway. So he got his just desserts. Um, but yeah, more worrying signs for Man United again. Um, but I, I think we should just praise Bournemouth for the way mm. they went about the business. I've never heard my son say, I want to watch that game again because of how well Bournemouth have played. Like, he was genuinely really mm. happy about the way they played. I've never thought he'd hear those words. But yeah, I mean, look, when I was younger, seeing Man United lose was like really rare. Like now yeah. we're seeing it almost every week with Man United. And that's kind of the changing circles of their fortunes at the moment. They've just gone the other way, the opposite way through bad management and also off the field aspects as mm -hmm. well. Um, but Bournemouth totally deserved this. I mean, Solanke obviously will get a lot of the plaudits, but they were just superb in the press, the way they approached it. You could see it on match of day. Their first intent was to just pressurise that defence and they went about it in the right manner. I mean, there's a number of performances that we could call out, but I just want to say also Lewis Cook was so imperative in terms of the way that he kind of made sure that if he was holding back, he'd also kind of press as soon as the second mm -hmm. ball happened as well. So I think that was really impressive. I think you were going to call out the left-back Kirkets as well. Oh, I thought he was really good as well. Um, but I called it out previously, Ryan Christie as well. He's just pulls all the strings for Bournemouth's attacks as well. He's just a bargain buy. I think it was only like two, three million as well at the time that they got him from Celtic. Wow. He was a player that honestly, I thought his career was just kind of winding away. And when yeah. I saw him against Arsenal, he was absolutely atrocious. I thought, God, who is this lad? Like he's just going to be carted back off to Scotland at some point. But this game, he absolutely dictated the play. He has been doing for the last few games for Bournemouth as well. Um, I still want to, I think that centre-back partnership of Senezi and Zabani is like genuinely quite a good partnership. Yeah. They seem to complement each other really well. Um, but yeah, Kirkes was the player that I was watching in the entire game. Like, God, I really like this lad. I think Semenyo was great. He just needs to be a bit more clinical. I feel like his final mm. ball is a little bit disappointing at times. Um, but yeah, every player here just stood out. And I think, Ben, for Iriola, obviously we were saying it a few weeks ago, that like you know Gary O'Neill, I think he was still harshly treated, but the Bournemouth board have been vindicated so far, right? In the mm. fact that they've they really took a risk here and it's really paying off. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think they've won four out of the last five in the Premier mm-hmm. League, isn't it? And that that yeah. includes victories against Newcastle and Man United as well. And I know Old Trafford isn't exactly the theatre of dreams or the scary place to go that it used to be. And I think that's kind of vindicating the sense that, like you said, if you look at the game, Bournemouth from the first minute, their intention was to go there, press that United back line, force them into errors because they know they're a fragile unit at the moment. Mm -hmm. But the way Iriola's got them playing is, like you said, vindication for the board because I think it's a tricky one with Gary O'Neill because to the general media, because he seems like a really good guy and has obviously gone to Wolves and you know, been really good so far, so good. But I think a lot of Bournemouth fans would tell you almost like, thanks for the memories, but, you know, it is time to move on if we kind of want to make that next step as a club. We don't just want to be a club that you know, flirts on the peripheries of relegation. We want to kind of be a team that can almost break through like a Crystal Palace or someone like that and constantly finish in that mid-table and eventually over time potentially challenge because mm. Bournemouth aren't, you know, they're not a poor club. They're quite a rich no. club in the grand scheme of things. Mm. And um, but they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant, and mm-hmm. they seem to have really, really turned a corner. But for Man United, it's just like I think, like you said before the game, you know, people you, you usually bank on a Man United win, even when they're not playing that best, because it's one of those things where whenever they have a bad result, you can guarantee they win the next one because it's almost just like they they're they're so inconsistent for a start. But it's also just that one win that just keeps almost Ten Hag in a job. And obviously they beat Chelsea in the week. And well, how bad does that make Chelsea look as well, by the way? (laughs) But with them, it's just almost like, it's just, it's never, it's never steady with United. It's never steady. And, you know, that's why teams like Bournemouth, this isn't a disrespect to Bournemouth, but teams like Bournemouth will go there and play with freedom and play with confidence, you know, and they were, they were excellent. But I wanted to touch on Fernandes as well, because like you said, that's just like from minute one in that game, he was on the referee, just berating, moaning at his own teammates. We've seen it before, and I know Jaden Sancho hasn't exactly gone and kicked on at Man United, but I remember seeing that clip going around of Sancho turning around to Bruno on the pitch and saying, stop moaning. Yeah. You know, he's got far more to say for himself, but he's very rarely... Bruno Fernandes, in the big moments, sometimes does come up with things, and he's a good player. I don't think he's as great as some of the other creative mm-hmm. midfielders in the league, and I do think he almost stuck out like a bit of a sore thumb when he first went to Man United in terms of how good he was because of the situation they found themselves in at the time. But I think over time, it's almost been that illusion has kind of fallen a little bit with him. And to be the captain of the club, and I know people will say, like I look at Arsenal and I look at Tottenham, you've got two characters there that are the captains in Odegaard and Son who you wouldn't necessarily expect to be... Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people would be quite surprised if, you know, if, you, they, if people didn't know, they'd be almost quite surprised to find out that those two are the captains because they're not the most assertive, they're quite quiet, they almost lead by example. Yeah. Whereas Fernandez, being the captain of, not to sound like Roy Keane, but you're the captain of Manchester United. You know, you've got to go out and like, when you look at some of the captains they've had previously, including him, he's just almost, might as well just get that armband and just throw it in the bin. Because it's just yeah. like, the way he's leading that team is unacceptable. And I think, um, I saw someone tweet out earlier, there was almost like a list of players that he, this particular person feels like, are constantly letting the manager down. And he put Fernandez in that. And I think it caused a bit of a reaction and people saying, well, that's a bit harsh. It's like Fernandez always bails us out of these situations. But really, is it worth like, is is the one moment of Fernandez brilliance every few weeks or every once a month, maybe? Because I feel like even his impact on games yeah. is dwindling and dwindling as we get further on into the season. And as we get into the crunch points, he's not going to be there in the biggest game of the season away at Anfield next week. And that's all of his own doing. I'm not suggesting that he, you know, purposely kind of, 
almost decided to take you know sit that one out but yeah yeah yeah, but it's indicative of the person that he is and it's going to catch up with you eventually you know he's gone there but i remember last season when they beat them seven nil he was a disgrace he was yeah it was was disgraceful i think i don't know sorry i I think there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if he thought i get out of this game and no matter what happens it's not my fault like if if i don't play if we go there and get spanked they can't blame me because i'm not the one on the pitch well not my problem i can just say oh well you know look how much the team needs me i think my opinion of him is pretty fucking low i'll be honest i'm probably too low but i think i think you made a good point in the fact that like is that last minute winner against fulham worth six weeks of utter dross like yeah probably not um and I think, yeah, he just typified everything. For him to be suspended for that game is an absolute joke. And him, he wasn't, there was another player as well, wasn't there? Was it Garnacho is now banned as well, I think, because he I got booked. So, yeah. There was another player who's now skipping mm. it as well. But the last thing I wanted to talk about with this was the late substitutions that Eric Ten Hag made, uh, bringing on Palestri. And I don't know if I was reading too much into this, but I put it in our WhatsApp group. It felt like a punishment bringing Rashford on at 3-0 yeah. down and just being like, go on, I may do something. It felt like a bit of a statement. Am I reading too much into that? Like, Adam, what do you think? No, no. I mean, look, you only have to look at the treatment of Jaden Sancho and the way he's gone about managing that. I mean, he, he's done it with Cristiano Ronaldo as well. He just seems to struggle with big personalities that may potentially clash with him. And yeah. it's, I, I think from a Man United perspective, that's really worrying because that's where you aspire to be. You want to have big personalities playing for you that's going to dwindle as the years go by now, unfortunately, because of what they've been doing recently. And I think further questions about Eric Ten Hag and his man management skills, to be fair, it sounds like there's been a lot of reports about him letting players get a lot away with stuff, turning up late, for example, you know, just basics, real basics that in Sir Alex Ferguson's days would never happen. It wouldn't even come to the fore as being an issue. Mm -hmm. And if it did happen, you knew there was something up because those players wouldn't be playing, right? And for me, one one thing I would say, when you're looking at the lineup here, Raphael Varane looks like another candidate of a person or personality that's been pushed out of the club at the moment. Because how he doesn't get into that squad and you've got Luke Shaw playing centre-back is just baffling, mm. baffling, absolutely. So, yeah, feel sorry for the players that genuinely want to play, but unfortunately mm. they've got just a shout of shit around them. Yeah, I think the team selection was a bit mad. Starting Anthony Marshall in 2023 up front just seems like professional <laughs> negligence to me. Like when you've got Hoyland on the bench, I know Hoyland, like his fitness isn't exactly 100% there, but Anthony Marshall, you might as well just start with 10 men. I've never seen a player give less of a fuck about anything. He just doesn't do, he doesn't move. The guy just fucking stands there and then just looks at someone when the ball doesn't land on his foot. Honestly, he's the most infuriating player. And I was watching that um, stick to football, which is great with Gary Neville, and he kind of lets things slip every so often. And when he just kind of said, well, United, they they only kept hold of him because they were afraid he was going to do something elsewhere. Don't worry, United. He's not going to do anything <laughs> anyway. Get rid of the lad as soon as you can. <laughs> like, I think you're all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't see that guy's career being re- being rescued. I saw the story broke today as well. United yeah. will not take option on the extra mm. year. Like, no, Shopper. really. <laughs> I was going to say about that because it's like, why then? Why play him? Like that was yeah, when you were talking. Exactly, then it's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. I was like, if you're going to put him in the starting lineup over Rashford or Hoyland, and I know there's been big questions around Rashford's form, but. You don't bring him off the bench with three, like ten minutes to go and say, "Yeah, go on and do something." It feels that feels like quite a bad indictment of where maybe Marcus Rashford's at. I don't know 
there's kind of circumstances around that as well. But it's just, it's just what I find funny as well with Man United is the fact that the two players that the fans and Ten Hag seemingly wanted out of the club in the summer were Maguire and Scott McTominay. And right, okay, they conceded three mm. goals at the weekend. I thought Maguire was their best player. He I thought Maguire actually played yeah. really well. Um, and obviously McTominay popping up with the two goals in the week. I know maybe the goals for him are maybe papering over the cracks in terms mm-hmm. of some of the performances he's been putting in. Mm. But he still gives everything. And what I like about Scott McTominay is that he came out, he did the, it feels like the classic Champions League press conference, got a wheel out of player, right? Who are we going to do in moments of adversity? Bring someone who's come up through the club, who's playing quite well at the moment, yeah. thrust Scott McTominay in front of the cameras. But he came out and said, he was like, us as the players need to take more responsibility. And it was like, it's actually refreshing for once for mm-hmm. someone at Man United to come out and say that rather than either throwing your teammates under the bus or, you know, leaking um, stories to the press. It's kind of just rinse and repeat with Man United since Fergie mm-hmm. left. And it's ha- the yeah. same thing has happened manager after manager. And I do understand why some United fans are saying that, you know, it's not Ten Hag, it's the players. And I do get that because I do think there's an element that that is true. But I also do think Ten Hag has not done anything at United to convince me that he is the man. And I think it's really interesting that you picked on kind of his management of big players because at Ajax, he would never had that issue because you've got players mm-hmm. there that rightly or wrongly know that they're almost on a conveyor belt in terms yeah, of yeah. the production yeah, line yeah. of the Ajax Academy and they'll look for moves elsewhere because the club want to make profit off the Academy and they've they produced so many brilliant players. And he had an amazing team. Like that team that mm-hmm. we, you know, played us in the Champions League all those years ago was coached by Ten Hag and they were excellent. The way they played football was brilliant and the players that they had were great. And that just makes me think, how can you not do that with Man United? And for me, it comes down to the recruitment, which he's consistently been involved in. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. they've bought good players. You can't tell me that yeah. some of these players yeah. haven't bought mm-hmm. on good. It's just that it's, for me, a lot of it comes down to the character as well. Like I, I heard, and I don't want to keep referencing Postacoglu, but he almost said that it's like, the buck stops with me in terms of the players that we want to bring in. Yeah, yeah. And if I don't feel like they're the right character for the club, they might be the best player in the world. But if I don't think they're going to gel in the dressing room, if I don't think they're going to be good influence on the other players, then they're not coming. And I think that's what Man United have kind of fallen foul of is bringing in these big names because it generates shirt sales. And it's almost like, right, guys, don't worry about how we're playing. Look at this shiny new toy that we've almost got and brought in to appease the fan base. And I think for a while, United fans did almost get suckered into that because some of the signings along the way did actually feel like a turning point. I remember the summer where they signed Varane and then Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. I mean, even then, I think we were probably looking at thinking, wow, okay, you know, United are are serious. But ever since then, there's kind of just been transfer window after transfer window. They're just bringing in these guys and it's just not working. And for me, that, you know, and that failure to coach them into the way he wants to play is on the buck ultimately falls with Ten Hag, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, completely, completely. And has anyone heard from Mason Mount recently? <laughs> no, 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 no. But all, all I wanted to do is quickly build on Ben's point as well. He mentioned a few weeks ago that he can't coach them to the IX credentials of the ways of working and playing style. And that rings so much to that point that Ben made. Like, Look, Postacoglu hasn't had the same amount of time as Ten Hag, but he's managed to transform it to his style of play in that sort of 18 to 24 months now that Ten Hag's been installed as a manager. Don't forget, he had a few months prior to actually kind of assess his squad as well. Yeah, I have not seen a style of identity that I could say that's Eric Ten Hag football. 
there's nothing about it that kind of springs to mind as that's unique, that's different, that's something that you could identify as Man United. And I'm f- sorry, but it, the buck lies with him as well, ultimately, yeah. because as much as you can say background stuff is forcing him or he can't do certain things, there's certain mentalities that you can change as a manager. You can change perceptions of you, way you want to do things. And I just don't get that cross. And like we've said to these points, if there's certain players that don't want to play for you, cool, bench them or just demote them, get some younger players in, get someone that's going to be wanting to actually fight for the shirt. And I think to that point, just that's what Man United fans are just craving right now. They just want to see an identity where they can say they're really proud of this team, but I just don't see it. I really don't see it. No, there's not much to cling on to there. I think the fact that Kobe Minu started a few games and looked pretty good, United fans are really excited about him. Get those youth products in and it'll be a bit more of a pro- an exciting place, I think, or a bit more hope at least. But fantastic result for Bournemouth. Um, elsewhere in the Premier League, just super quickly, Crystal Palace went 1-0 up, um, but Liverpool managed yeah. to pull it back. Harvey Elliott with a beautiful finish in the death to make it 2-1. Steve Cooper lives to fight another day. Um, very unlucky not to beat Wolves, mm. but it was one all in the end. Brighton battled, but Burnley get a point away in another one all draw. Evan Ferguson had a chance he should have scored towards the end there. And guys, Chris Wilder's back. And he's got a win. First win for Sheffield United. Ben, very quickly, do you expect Wilder to have an impact? I think we might see a bit of an upturn. Yeah, I think he'll have an impact. Whether they stay up or not, I think is another question. But you've seen what he did the first time round. And I know people say, don't go back. But I feel like they didn't really have an alternative. Because Mm -hmm. the right, excuse me, the right on the wall was there with Heckenbottom for pretty much since that Newcastle game, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I've not been inspired. I wasn't inspired by them at all for the most of the season. And it wasn't even like, I don't want to generalise, but it didn't even feel like they were necessarily showing that much fight under Heckenbottom either. Mm. Whereas I think under Chris Wilder, whether, you know, the thing is with Wilder as well is that when he actually brought them up into the Premier League the first time, they were actually playing really good football and really effective football as well. And whether he pivots to that this time, given the situation, I think maybe not, but that was a great win for them on Saturday. And I think, regardless of whether he keeps them up or not, they'll certainly be a lot closer to doing that under him. And also, you know, teams are going to take points off each other down there as well. So it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I think it will have an impact for sure. Exciting times. It is good to see him back. I like Chris Wilder. Um, Elsewhere, Luton got all our hopes up going 1-0 up. But unfortunately, they couldn't hold on, bastards, as Man City did get the 2-1 win. Grealish getting a winner, and this time it was a winner. Um, Fulham, unstoppable, Adam. They've scored 18 goals in the last five games. I was counting it. Absolutely incredible. They battered West Ham 5-0. West Ham are having a weird season, but let's talk about Fulham. Um, Looks like Raul Jimenez is starting. Can we get excited about his form? I think, yeah, you can start to get a bit warmer about the way he's doing things right now. Um, It's good to see, right? Because obviously Mm. when he had that horrific injury, we didn't necessarily think that we would see the best of him. But fair play to him. He's actually demonstrating that he's coming back out of this. You could see by the celebrations that the players were really pleased for him. Um, One point on Fulham, though, goals across the team. It's not just one individual. And that's the thing. And you're seeing individuals coming up now. Awobi, for example, we highlighted Mm demonstrating some really good things and Kearney as well what yeah. a few few balls that he was like pinging about across that midfield so yeah really pleasing for like Fulham the way that they've kind of come through this really bad period as well 
I think that's really testament to Marcus Silva and the way he's kind of stuck to his principles there. It is fantastic. For them, it's key they keep hold of Paulinho. I think it will be interesting to see how they go after January and if they've got someone lined up to replace him. But for now, Fulham getting some massive points. It looked like they might get dragged into the relegation zone. And Chelsea fans, don't breathe too easy. We are going to mention you as it continues. Everton quickly getting rid of that points deduction. Um, A 2-0 win. Decore, who I think is now up there as Everton's all-time top goal scorer in the Premier League because <laughs> it feels like it's only ever him who scores. And Academy product, Lewis Dobbin, getting a goal in the 92nd mm. minute. Ben, how fantastic is it to see how terrible Chelsea are? Amazing. I love it. I'm reveling in it every <laughs> single day. It's just it's brilliant. And do you know what? I was saying this to my mates earlier. Like The Chelsea teams of years gone by, you hated them because one, like your rivals with them, you know, as Tottenham fan and an Arsenal fan, like, and obviously there was this perception outside of that that everyone hates Chelsea, yeah. but everyone hated them because they had a team full of like nasty bastards, yeah, and yeah. everyone yeah. like it was almost like you hated them, but you kind of respected them a little bit in a way. But now it's just so flat across the whole team, like whole squad, and it's just like they haven't got that almost like nasty core I think that's got them so far in previous years of winning stuff, even under. Conte, when they won their last Premier League, they had someone like Costa leading the line who was a proper bastard. Yeah, yeah. You know, they even still had like Terry was still around then. It just feels very, very flat mm. at Chelsea at the moment. And I think it's really tricky because as much as I want to kind of revel in Pochettino's demise, uh, even though I do, I do like Poch, but I don't think, I think uh, you could, he has to take some of the responsibility. Like if we're, if we're giving Ten Hag flack, like Pochettino does have to take Oh, yeah. some of the responsibility and what makes me laugh is the fact that he's coming out today going yeah we need to spend more money in January it's like yeah, what we need yeah. is yeah. yeah he's taking the piss yeah. it's like what do, what don't you have at your disposal you basically yeah. hovered up all of the best young talent across Europe and yes mm-hmm. Chelsea might come good in two or three years but that doesn't happen with Chelsea they're never looking towards the future it's always the now and um, just very uninspiring like, even in the game like Jordan Pickford made a few really good saves but they were all from distant shots like yeah, Jackson yeah, had yeah. that chance that he put just over the bar. I don't know how he didn't get sent off either, by the way, for the mm. uh, strangle. Was it Nathan Patterson that he put? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That was unbelievable. But for Everton, I'm really, really pleased for Everton. Like, I'm really pleased for them. I like, mm. I've always kind of felt affinity towards Everton as a Spurs fan because I feel like we almost both had that same thing of living in our neighbour's shadow a bit. And I think there is just <laughs> naturally like, like that we like them, they like us. And I, I do, I've always had a soft spot for Everton. And Sean Dyche is just, he's the, I said it when he went there. Um, he is the perfect manager, regardless of like our awareness of their financial plight 18 months ago when he first, or under a year ago when he first went there, yeah. like Jan, February last year. You know, there was always this d- sense of kind of there was something hanging over Everton, but no one ever realized that it would amount to this. Um, but I always thought that he would be the perfect man to get them through. And also, I feel like his kind of style of play goes under the radar a little bit. It's not like, you know, we've got so many great tacticians in the Premier League, uh, coaching wise, Guardiola, Klopp. Arteta, Postacoglu, like we've got these brilliant managers, but he deserves so much more credit than he gets for actually being really effective because they've Mm. created like, I think they've got the biggest differential in terms of like the XG they've created Mm. versus the XG they've actually put away. Everton create chances every single game. I think Mm. people kind of have this perception that because it's Sean Dyche, they're going to sit in, make it difficult, but he just does all the basic principles of football really well. And they score goals, three against Mm. Everton, uh, three against Newcastle, two against Chelsea. Like they're a threat. And um, that's three wins on the bounce in the Premier League now. And they, if it wasn't for the points deduction, they'd been a top half above Chelsea, which is just an indictment again of where Chelsea are at. But fair play to Everton. And again, it's great to see in the kind of time of adversity that they're going through, nothing's going to 
kind of tie the fan base and the squad together like an old timer in Decore who's been a really good servant to them and a really important player scoring that goal, but then also an academy product to come on and finish it off and lose Dobbin. So yeah, mm. brilliant for Everton, but Chelsea it's um it's not looking good. No. Uh <laughs> long may it continue. I did see yeah. really quickly a really fascinating interview with Sean Dyche a while ago and he said, Look, if I had players that could play Brazil nineteen seventies football, I would play I Brazil nineteen seventies football. <laughs> I just they're not the players I have. So I think he's fully like he's not as dogmatic as people think he is, and I think he is. Yeah, he's he's doing a hell of a job there. But we are going to move on to Serie A because it's been a fantastic weekend over in Italy. Um, at least Inter kept us um awake. So let's start with <laughs> Inter, um, as they continue to thrill. Now I watched this game. I thought Udinese started really well. Like they defended very well. Mm. They were keeping like let's have it straight. They didn't have many chances, right? But they were defending no. well. They were keeping it um, disciplined. They had their game plan. They were doing all right. And then they gave away a stupid penalty. Adam, did you think this was a bit soft? I thought it was a bit soft. It is soft, but by the standards of refereeing these days, mm. it is given, unfortunately. And Lataro always goes looking for it, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 as soon yeah. as you get give him a touch, then he's always going to die for it and he's going to claim it. So the mm. way that they were going about it, that's obviously asking. And to be fair, I think prior to that, they were inviting a lot of pressure. Udinese there was up to that point. Some, so, yeah, yeah, there were some clearances. There was a bit of hairy defending, but I thought Udinese yes. were doing well. But what really impressed me was the second you open that door a little bit for Inter, that's it. They kick it through, and within five minutes, they were 3-0 up. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, this game that was looking pretty nervy is now, I was like, do I need to watch the second half? I think this is kind of done now. Like, I'll just put something else on. Um, And it was incredible. Di Marco, again, um, I'm going to put him forward as possibly the best left-back on the planet at the moment. Um, I feel like he's up there in the the conversation with wing-backs. That left foot, another fantastic finish. Um, like we know that Inter depend on their wings and their wing backs so much, but it's just fantastic to see him having a really consistent season because he's a player that even from when he was on loan at Hellas Verona, he did the season at Verona, didn't he? Yeah, he was yeah, fantastic Verona, there. And yeah. I remember Tommy on this pod being like, I can't wait for this guy to get to Inter. He's going to be super exciting. And it's just what a season he's having. And then Taram, again, some beautiful football from Inter. Yeah. Um, to ram at the back post like he often is. He's finding himself yeah. there increasingly more often there to tap it in. And it's kind of game done 3-0, nice and easy. But the player I wanted to highlight, Adam, guess who I'm going to highlight? Of all the interplayers, who am I going to talk about? Chalanoglu? No, Nicolo no. Barella. Unlucky. Oh, okay. um, it came out this week that he's had a pretty horrific time yes. at home, unfortunately. Yeah. Him and his mm. missus sadly um, lost their child. So our thoughts go out to Barella it kind of explains obviously the slow start he had this season and kind of all the problems he's been having. But what it is great to see is that him and his missus have kind of seemed to be in a better place and his football is absolutely fantastic. I know it doesn't matter when you're talking about the other things, but it's great to see him having such an effect on games and back to himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I felt like this was another game. His diagonal balls to just switch the play for Inter across the game were just incredible. Um, but Ben, I'm going to go to you. Inter are the fun team. They have to win the league, right? We have to put everything behind them. Yeah, I think so. They're the most like dynamic exciting to watch team in Serie A at the moment and I don't really see that changing like what I liked about the goals that they scored were were they almost showcased every facet of why they're such a good attacking outlet like Mm -hmm. Latoro's fourth goal almost reminded me of a bit like Aguero oh sorry Mm -hmm. their fourth goal by Latoro almost reminded me 
a bit like Aguero, where it was just like sometimes he'd go on those runs where, where a team was stretched and just fire it in the bottom corner. It was such a good finish. And also kind of shows how underrated he is as a striker, like the plethora of finishes that he's got. He's kind of got everything. Mm. And then, then again, you saw with Turam being at the end of that really good move, kind of working it out wide and then back inside. I think it was, was it Bastoni that put that cross into the back post or was it, because Bastoni worked it out wide and it came back in. I can't remember who put the ball in, but it was a great... Yeah, it was great a great ball. ball. It was DeMarco put it back. I can't remember who put the ball yeah. across. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the first, and then um, the second goal as well for DeMarco's goal. It was just great press and showed how tenacious Barella mm-hmm. was and kind of his like upturn in form in recent weeks. And then we highlighted him last week as well. Um, but I think they've just got, they've just got everything. And it's just like, you apply, we, we've talked about this on the last few pods, but like, I do feel like people in terms of the Champions League are sleeping on Inter a bit mm-hmm. again. I'm not saying they're going to go and win it by any stretch, but I think there's a lot of Premier League fans of teams that could potentially be going through into the next round looking at teams that they could potentially be playing against in the round of 16 and quarterfinal and almost grouping Inter into the bucket of teams that they should be able to not worry about. Yeah. I think that's completely kind of naive because I do think that they've got such a well-drilled uh, defensive unit but in midfield as well it's so kind of dynamic they can do everything and then that forward line is so potent and then the wing backs as well so mm-hmm. most fun to what most fun team to watch in Serie A for sure but also probably one of the most exciting teams in Europe to watch at the moment mm-hmm. so I think people are sleeping yeah. on them a little bit it was an absolute pleasure to watch them. Like Adam, we've been enjoying them all season. As uh, Ben kind of touched on there, they've conceded seven goals this season, which yeah. is less than Juve. And they're showing that you can do it in a fun way. You don't have to then just get one and sit on it. Um, were there any other players that stood out You stood out for you for Inter, like Chalonoglu with another big goal from the penalty spot? Like It feels like everyone's kind of stepping up at the moment. There. Yeah, I'm going to call out someone different, though. Jan Bissek, mm-hmm. who was brought what? in from AGF, our house. Um, he was obviously talked about as this kind of prodigal German who is going to definitely uh, be a useful addition to that national side. Um, but he is starting to really get some confidence and displayed here as well that like he's kind of complementing a lot of that Inzaghi style of what he wants a centre-back to do. And um, yeah, he's he's really someone to look out for. I knew there was something about him anyway previously when we kind of did some research about him mm-hmm. when he was signed because not a lot of people knew about him. But I remember my ma- neighbour who's a Danish fan, he's um, said he was far too good for that league. And so, yeah, he's proving so much so. Um, the fact that he stepped up from that level to Serie A and he looks like he owns it he already knows the league quite well I think that's someone to look forward to um, but yeah I mean look the usual kind of culprits you could say look Channel Blue, Mkhitaryan still be kind of doing as it was like just pinging balls like he's no one and he's running he's keeping up with the pace and that's the other thing like you wouldn't have seen him do that for Man United right no. so um, yeah <laughs> this is the thing so he's just reborn there was a really endearing interview with that Bissek after the game. It was a really nice interview where he was like, oh, I've not been in Italy for long and I'm I'm trying to learn Italian. I'm really sorry that I'm not able to do the interview in Italian. But soon, you know, I'm learning the team, I'm learning the culture, and soon I'll come back and do an interview in Italian. It was just really nice. He was yeah. just saying how happy, how happy he was to be at Inter. And yeah, he was a player that Inter fans were starting to get a bit worried about. Why is this guy not playing? We're not seeing him. Like, is he, he's, a, he's not as young as you think he is. I think he's like 25. Like, say, like, why have we got this guy? But it's good to see him come in and, yeah, really good performance. Obviously, Udinese didn't offer much going forward. I think um, the only player that came close was 
I'm going to say the ex Watford guy, but they're all ex Watford. Um, Pereira, I think it was, <laughs> yeah, came Pereira. close. Um, but apart from that, they yeah. didn't really offer much. I do feel like Udinese could. Is it time for them to change manager? They had such a terrible ending to the year last year. Because you have to remember, they started so well. They were top four for ages, and then they absolutely tanked. And now they are one point ahead of the relegation zone, won one in the last five. Obviously, they've drawn a lot of games, right? So you feel like you're close to getting those wins. But Adam, do you think at some point we might see a change in manager here? Because it feels like a long time since they've had any real, consistent, positive form. I'd be surprised given they've already sacked their previous manager, Sutil, mm. and now replaced him with Trophy. Um, we've got to remember Gerard Delafeo is missing at the moment, and mm. that's he's the kind of catalyst for Udinese. He's the main kind of focal point. But you do worry that, you know, the fact that he hasn't been playing, there's not been much in terms of goal contribution. Um, there's not been a lot, I would say, to kind of maybe indicate that they're mentally they're quite strong and that they can sustain kind of attacks because we saw it against Hellas Verona. They threw away, like, they were winning position 3-2 and they let Hellas Verona get back into the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a worry, but you wouldn't be surprised with the Pozo family and the way they do things. Um, so what we're saying, Kiko Sanchez-Flores or which <laughs> which which one out of their black book are they going to bring out? It's been a while since yeah. he's got employed by him, I think. Um, we know what they're like. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a change of manager pretty soon. That was a pretty uninspired performance, even if it is coming up against the best team in the league, I think, and the best yeah. attacking force. Um, but yeah, fantastic for Inter. I'm really, I was talking again to my mate who's an Inter fan today and he was just saying, he was laughing at how incredibly shit you they are, but he's really worried <laughs> about the fact that they're really yeah. terrible and still there. Um, at which point we do need to move on to Juve, I suppose. Classic Juve, I'm just not changing this banner. Classic Juve, <laughs> they get the one he'll win against Napoli. Um, I think Gatti... <laughs> There's always these, what a season he's having. This is a good few goals he's got now. He's coming up in big moments. They've obviously defensively been fantastic. Um, Another performance by Napoli that left a lot to be desired. I think we were kind of getting a little bit excited about Mazzari and like the performances they had against Real Madrid and the performance against Atalanta. And we said before that it depends how they perform in these games, even though it's a hard run of fixtures, it'll really show about how the performance is on. I think, and this and the game against Na- uh, Inter, right, left a lot to be desired in terms of performance. Yeah. Um, do you feel like they should have caused Juve more problems, Adam? I think they did, to be fair. They just weren't clinical on the night. Don't forget, like, Farad Scalia is put through by awesome men, has a one-on-one with Szczesny, and he blasts that over. He should do better. He knows he can do better. Uh, Di Lorenzo is denied by Wojciech Szczesny as well, with fantastic save as well. I didn't think necessarily this was a a great performance by Juve, as we alluded to. Napoli just were poor, and I think on another day, they definitely score at least one or two of those chances. Um, So I do feel sorry for Mazzari on that occasion. Um, But yeah, they seem to struggle. For whatever reason, they seem to struggle to get that kind of ball and play as well as they could. Obviously, um, Osman had a goal ruled off as well in this match. So it wasn't necessarily bad play by Napoli just weren't having the greatest of games you know if you compare that to last season where they were really tense they were obviously getting along the line to get in winning the Scudetto and they 
got that 1-0 win through Raspadori. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they need to somehow work out how they can play Raspadori, Farah and Osimhen at the same time. I mean, they just need something doing there. Zelinski was pinging balls as well in the middle of the park. You know, Juve really did struggle from that point of view. And I think to your point, uh, Rory, I think Juve will get undone because they've had to rely on Gatti to kind of bail them out in the last few mm-hmm. games. It's a bit worrying that their front line haven't scored a goal in a good few games now. I can't remember the last time Vlaovic scored a goal. Milik hasn't scored a goal for a while. Mm -hmm. Moses Kane, probably, I want to say, three games ago, scored a goal. And Chiesa hasn't scored a goal since, I think it's September, I want to say. It's quite shocking when you think about, we know about the credentials of all of those players, but actually, they're not firing. Is that because of the style? Yes, it certainly is, but... Yeah, I think that's the worry for Juventus is they're having to rely on set plays and these kind of men into the box to kind of provide that kind of outlet. But at the moment, if you can shut them down, I think Juventus really do struggle. So I think that's something to cling hope for into fans. Um, But yeah, I mean, the way they're going about it, you know, they don't have Champions League. They don't have to worry about that. So I think that gives them enough rest time as well to recuperate. But yeah, I think there's still a few of those big games that they've got to face. So mm. I'm hoping, you know, some of the other big teams will cause them a few more issues. But, you know, let's see if Roma can do it. That uh, Well, if Mourinho can rock up and, do, and cause yeah. some chaos, I'm sure he can. But Ben, we have to talk about the fact that defensively and their midfield has been fantastic this year. Like Chesney he is having a very good season. That back three, even though I'm gutted, they've dropped Reganavaro because he was in my fan de calcio and he, he can't get a minute now. But we have to praise that midfield and defence, right? They are a pretty solid unit. That McKenny locatelli Rabio three, yeah. it doesn't sound great, but they're doing pretty well. Yeah, I think especially with Rabio and Locatelli, they're players that have kind of, you know, put themselves on the scene in Serie A in terms of how reliable they can be. Everybody knows the quality that they've both got. It's more McKenny that surprises me because when you look at going to Leeds last season, really uninspiring. I know that was a like he wasn't exactly walking into the easiest situation there, but I think a lot of people, I think his stock certainly fell when he went to Leeds. Put it that way, um, but he's been great, and that kind of defensive unit. And midfield has been working really well. It's just it's just not clicking up front. I think that's where they might get found out. You've got a striker in Vlajevic who, although when he was at Fiorentina, there were plenty of chances that he had where he could almost bully defenders and score goals on his own, almost like Haaland esque, mm-hmm. where he'd sort of run, you know, run the channels or like run directly at defenders and go past them. Whereas I think maybe it's down to the way that Uve play, but I feel like he was so much more reliant on service. Um for for Uve and you know you've got the quality around him in terms of like the players like Chiesa to put that on a plate for him and I think Vlajevic scored against Inter didn't he was it in that game where Chiesa set him up or was that the other way around I can't remember but yeah I think yeah. there was that game but it was like you know it almost even in that game it was kind of on a plate for mm-hmm. him a little bit so I think there is something that's not quite clicking but you know like you said they've not got the Champions League they can kind of focus on limited fixtures compared to someone like Inter who I back to go deep in the Champions League. Yeah, How deep yeah. that is again, we're not sure. But like that might kind of give them a little bit of an edge. But I do think in certain games they might start to get found out. But at the moment it's working. It's just that sometimes it feels a little bit inevitable that, you know, what's your plan B? Like what's your how are you going to score goals if it's not again like Gatti has gotten the score sheet numerous times this season. It was a great header and a really good ball in. But you know, if you're kind of consistently relying on goals from your centre-backs from set-piece situations or those kind of situations, then 
I do think that is a little bit of a red flag. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. They could easily keep. Mm. They could one nil their way to the title, couldn't they? It wouldn't, you know. <laughs> It would be very, very Juve to do it. And yeah. Like it, it would, on yeah. yeah. I think it would be just. It would be perfect. You know what? It struck me today when Wenger left Arsenal. Allegri was linked with the Arsenal job, and there was a brief moment where I was like, "I'd take Allegri at Arsenal." Yeah. Every day, I feel dirty for even that thought going <laughs> through my mind, and the thought of having to watch Allegri ball at Arsenal would have made me want to kill myself. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe they will get it done. Maybe they will get it done. Um, another just very brutally efficient one they'll mm. win. So fantastic stuff for Juve. Their fans will not give a shit. Um, moving on, we do need to go to a bit more of a fun game. Um, let's go. Should we do Gasparini? Um, Gasp piles oh. the misery on for Pioli. Now, this game was a bit mad. Um Adam, there were some really good goals, but we need to start with uh, Charles de Ketelaire's miss. Um, oh, God. What yeah. the hell happened there? Yeah, it was um, kind of a heart in mouth moments for Milan fans because they were like, this is going to be the moment. This is where he tucks it away. <laughs> and uh, luckily, he kind of relived the last 12 months where he kind of did the same thing for Milan. Um, but yeah, literally just knocked down from Adamella Lukman of all people to get ahead on that as well, <laughs> um, to put in the pathway of the kettle. And all he has to do is just stab it home. That's all he has yeah. to do. He just either dinks it past Banyan or something along those lines, but he kind of maybe overthinks it. He kind of wants to blast it into the roof of the net. And I think that kind of plays on his mind. Look, credit, he actually played really well for the rest of the he match. He assist, was right? a huge yeah. threat. He assisted, and you could see even Atamela Lookman after that kind of opportunity, which he misses. It's like, heads up, go on, you, you can do it still. And he's like, obviously, that was the confidence element that he was missing from last season with Milan. And I, I don't think necessarily he was given a lot of confidence by his coach. Purely really didn't really support him in that way, especially when he was getting pelters from the press in Milan. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he's kind of tried to rejuvenate his career at the moment. And Atalanta seems a really good fit for him. You know, not as much pressure on him to deliver. Obviously, the price tag really didn't help him when he joined Milan. Um, but yeah, look, he, he, I thought he had an impressive game despite that miss. And um, yeah, let's hope it's not something that he's going to be kind of tailed for the rest of his career. Because yeah, it'd be a shame for someone that had huge prospects when he was kind of signed by Milan that he's kind of being dogged by this kind of aspect that he could be someone that misses big chances or mm-hmm. can't do it on the big stage. Um, because we know there's a talent there, right? Rory? Yeah. Oh, he's absolutely right. Technically, he's fantastic. And I think when I was watching this game, I just thought this would be such a good move for him to go there permanently. I yeah, just thought, and I could my, I could kind of see it happening, that Milan will just cut their losses and be like, right, okay, we'll just take money for him. Yeah. And I feel like in that environment at Atalanta, we could really see him thrive. As you said, he did play really well beyond yeah. that headline miss. But the player that you did mention I wanted to talk about was Adamola Luckman. He's a very streaky player. When he scores, he tends to go score for a few games in a row and then he won't for a yep. while. But he got two goals here, two very, very good finishes. But before we talk about Milan, that goal by Luis Muriel. Oh. Oh, like, that is the Luis Muriel. The cheek. Yeah. He doesn't score often, but when he does, no. it's a fantastic goal. And just in that moment, the 93rd minute, he, there's that slight pause where he waits 
And then he just back heels it. Just an incredible finish. Great to see him. But this is actually a big win for Atlanta. It's their first win Huge. in four games. Mm, yeah. it, like they were quietly sneaking up on the top four. And all of a sudden now they're in eighth and two points behind fourth. Now it's very tight around there. But this is a massive win for Atlanta. A real statement. Um, and yeah, I think seeing Luckman score um, or watching him score is a really good thing. Like Ben, have you been impressed with? We've been really impressed by how he's done since he's arrived in Serie A. It's great to see. Uh, a young English, I know he plays for Nigeria, but a young English lad doing well in Serie A, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm really, uh, it's great to see him kind of flourishing in the way that he is. Two really good goals. I think, obviously, the first one took a little bit of a deflection, didn't it? But mm-hmm. I think the way he took the goal, like the sort of touch and set-up play mm-hmm. to strike it was really, really good. And then the second goal was great as well. And he probably should have had a hat-trick as well. He had that mm-hmm. miss after that as well. But it's a funny one with Lookman because when he went over to Leipzig, you kind of expected yeah. that. Like, young English player goes over to Germany, kind of tries to play his trade. Felt a lot more of a natural fit than, you know, I think there, I know there's been some English players that have gone to Serie A, Smalling, Tamori. Mm-hmm. Tamori's probably a more relevant example because of his age. Yeah. But it has happened. But I think there might have been a few more eyebrows raised by that rather than him going to Germany like he did as well. But yeah, he's been, he's been excellent. Like, he's always, even when he was at Everton for the brief moments that he kind of did shine, it was always a little bit patchy like you said, mm. but the fact that he's doing it now, doing it in big games as well, popping up with a brace, like I said, probably should have had a hat-trick as well. It was a bit unlucky, mm. that um, that chance. It wasn't as bad a miss as De Catalaire's, but yeah, it was um, a really good performance from him. And again, he just he's, I always I always really liked him when he was at Everton. I always thought there's a player, there's definitely mm. a player in there. Like he's got that kind of almost, um, almost Doku-esque kind of like explosion of pace. And he's got that, almost like strength of an ox he's not big but mm-hmm. he can definitely get past players and he's got that kind of low center of gravity and able like his ability to kind of go past players really slow him down and then go around them and um yeah it's been really good to see some english talent kind of thriving in in Serie A. but yeah lookman's been been really good really good really good no i really enjoyed watching him and i think the last moment i watched talk about for atlanta i think it was for one of the goals there was two absolutely crunching tackles from scalvini in midfield <laughs> yes. to win the yeah, ball yeah, twice yeah. it was unbelievable i was like that is showing absolute desire and like scalvini's yeah, yeah, a player that obviously a lot of promise very young so mm-hmm. does make mistakes but you see things like that and you're like oh this kid is going to go far because that was too yeah. Full-blooded tackles to win the ball and keep that move going. Really, really impressive. Um, But Adam, for Milan, it's impossible to guess what the hell's going on at that club. Um, We've given him a lot of stick, but Luka Jovic gets another goal. He's on a bit of a run of form. Um, A great header from Giroud. Um, Are there any other positives to find in this performance from Milan? Because it felt like they kind of just threw it away at the end. No, not really. Uh, I, I'm struggling to think when you go into that Newcastle match, who to actually call out here mm-hmm. as in terms of favourites, because um, they're both struggling at the moment for different reasons. But Milan more so, I think, just confidence, just the whole confidence element. Obviously, off the back of last week where they won against Frosinone, you kind of expected them to kind of build up and maybe have a bit more of an assured performance here, especially against Atalanta. It's not a pushover. It's not going to be straightforward, but they kind of just didn't concentrate on the key moments, did they? They didn't really put the kind of intensity that you would expect. And for Milan fans, I think they're just struggling to grapple with the fact that Pioli's still there. He's just not inspiring that team at the moment. I think 
yeah, they could really do with a changeover. And I think, obviously, it will all boil down to this point of, are they still in the Champions League after mm-hmm. this weekend? Um, because I think that really just maybe be the final nail for Pioli right now. I, I just, I'm struggling to think. I mean, yes, they have had a bit of an injury crisis, but you've had players come back into the fold now. Um, I just don't, I don't really get what they're trying to achieve. And he seems to be quite blasé about sticking to his philosophies and the way that they played the ball as well. Um, they're just not changing it up enough and they're not really where the key moments really count. They're not really coming out of it. I think they relied too heavily on Zlatan for a number of years and they kind of felt that, you know, he's never going to disappear, but he has now, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's talk about him coming back in some capacity as well. Will that undermine purely going forward? I don't know. Yeah. Because you could see him just walk into the changing room and just do the team talk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, he's not going to be second act for anyone, is he, Zlatan? No, Jesus. Exactly. But I think there was a moment last season when Milan was struggling, and I feel like there was, wasn't there a point where purely switched and went to three at the back and changed the system and kind of tried to like inject a bit of like just, he was like, okay, this isn't working. I think it was after they lost that, there was that humiliating game against Aswallow, right? And he just went, right, screw this. And he kind of reset and tried to bring in this new system. I'm surprised we've not seen him try and change anything yet because as you said, he's not someone who necessarily has a philosophy. He's someone who's like tactically, he's quite flexible yeah. usually. And he's very, he's a very good tactician. So it's strange to see him not trying to, because again, looking at this squad, we've talked about their, their recruitment, but I can't help but feel someone could be getting more out of this squad because mm-hmm. players like Musa is a fantastic midfielder. He's a very, very good player. Stood out of the World Cup. Has been pretty solid since he got to Milan. Like that attacking lineup. Okay, it's pretty old, but like Chukwueze and Pulisic, you can be getting more out of them. Definitely. I feel like he just needs to be looking at how we can get a bit more energy into this because I think playing Teo Hernandez at centre-back seemingly is not the answer. Like, it feels like experimenting in the wrong way or I don't know, it just... I'm surprised he's not tried to switch it up and I think, as you said, Milan fans are getting a bit tired of just watching the same old thing. But I do weirdly have a sneaky feeling that they might get something against Newcastle because... Pioli always pulls it out of the fire at the last minute. Just when you think he's gone, he pulls something out of the bag. And I think with the state that Newcastle are in with, in terms of their squad, etc., the Milan could possibly turn up and get a 1-0 here. Um, yeah. But maybe I am being very, very optimistic. Um, it was a pretty disappointing performance from them. And of course, Calabria was sent off at the end just to pile on the misery. So he'll be missing <laughs> the next game for Milan um, just to top off a fantastic day for them. Um but the last game we're going to talk about in depth in Serie A is going to be, uh, when I find the banner, where did I put it? Um, <laughs> Roma C Reds. Um, another massively chaotic game from Roma. Adam, you sat and watched this game. Talk us through it. It looked like an absolute banger. Yeah, it was quite fascinating because within five minutes, obviously, Roma take the lead through some good combination play. Mm-hmm. Dybala, just from the outside of the foot, just setting up Lukaku, which was delightful to see. Um, and ironically, Chelsea want to recall Lukaku now, um, but they didn't include a clause in his contract, so he can't be recalled. So amazing that. Um, but yeah, other than that, though, you kind of saw Roma just do their typical thing. I'm sure Ben was used to it with Mourinho at Spurs, just sat back, just, you know, did their kind of usual kind of bits. Italiano with uh, Fiorentina tries to kind of outplay Roma, should we say. You know, typically trying to stick to the wings, get the ball into the box and hope for the best. 
Um, Andrea probably from a few weeks ago is probably pulling the what remaining hair he's got and looking like Italiana these days. Um, but they did eventually get themselves back into the match. That was courtesy of Nikola Zalewski getting sent off for a second yellow card. He does have to pull down a player, a Kony, before he does the trigger of passing it through to Bonaventura. Bonaventura was just so frustrated with his players around him at times. Um, but yeah, it was ball into the box and... Um, Forgotten the name of the player that's oh, now Martinez Quarta. He's in Martinez my fantasy Quarta, culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he scores the goal, and from then onwards, like Fiorentina looked the more likely to kind of win the match, but they just don't have an idea, Rory. They don't seem to make the use of Enzolo, who they brought in from Spezia this season. It's so frustrating because you know he can be a good player on this day. Um, but Roma see red mist essentially, and mm-hmm. Lukaku does a really dangerous tackle. I mean. There's obviously a picture now of the uh, defender or even the um, striker. It's just stupid, just Mm. pure stupidity. Now he misses the next match as well. So it's three matches, actually, because it's a straight red it was as well. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, he'll be missing now. Um, And, yeah, Mourinho kind of shithoused themselves to a point where there was about seven minutes of extra time. But somehow the referee, despite the antics of Rio Patricio, who got cramp in his leg, even though he was just standing there for most of the match, um, <laughs> wasn't added on Classic. time. So therefore, it was kind of, yeah, carry on. And the referee blew his whistle. So um, they got away with a point, Rory, which mm. was fascinating. But you could see the scenes afterwards as well. There's a, someone off the bench that was red carded as well. So we don't know who that was. Um, I don't think it's even been classified as to who was sent no. off after the match as well, because I haven't seen it on here either. Um, but yeah, apart from that, yeah, Jose was very lucky um, because they were were doing quite well in fairness, Roma. They've been doing quite well. Obviously, where they find themselves in the table right now, they're fourth right now, and mm. they've got to face Bologna now. So that would be an interesting time That'd because be Bologna could overtake them in the positions mm-hmm. that they're in. So. Um, that'd be fascinating to see Bologna in the top four, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I might actually get a prediction right, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> but I think Mourinho came out today and he banned a load of the media, right? He said he's not talking to loads of the media today because he wasn't impressed with how certain things were reported. So it's, it's classic deflection tactics from him. Um, but I wanted to point out, and you mentioned him for Fiorentina, Bonaventura. He was really unlucky not to score as well. I think he hit yeah. the crossbar. Oh, yeah, he yeah. feels like everything for Fiorentina comes through him. And like as good a player as he is, he's thirty-five years old. <laughs> like yeah. it's, but he feels far too important to that team. And if it's if he doesn't do anything, there's not really much else um, elsewhere. And I think Enzolo is another one that's interesting because we've talked about him before. But when he's got space to run into. And he's like one on one with the goalkeeper, like burst, mm. burst in the face, really, really good. And a clinical finisher just feels like Italiano isn't able to get him working in this team. It feels like he's just trying to feed off scraps of headers in the box or second balls down. And just you can see the weight of it a little bit on him because he doesn't look confident at all at the moment. He's in and out of the team between him and Beltran as well. I feel like mm. Italiano is still kind of trying to figure out that attack. Um, but a good point for them overall, I think, is going away to Roma. We know at home they're fairly decent, right? They've got their mums cooking, so they're yeah. pretty happy there. But um, So I think it's a good point for Fiorentina. But yeah, they'll be disappointed they didn't get more. With Lukaku, Ben, do you think that was just him trying to look busy? I think that's him trying to be like, you know, <laughs> backs to the wall, let's go kind of thing. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was thinking this as you guys were talking there. It's like Lukaku doesn't always like... He's 
he's always a player that's played on the emotional side. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen that in the last few years. Like he's a big character, but this was like I've never seen him do anything like this. No, no, he's no. a bit of a bully on the pitch. He, he but mm-hmm. he he kind of gets that across in other ways, whether it's rolling defenders or getting into physical battles with them. But like it was just felt, even though he is bullish and an emotional guy, it felt out of character even for him. It was a terrible mm-hmm. tackle. It's like, really it's it's just like, especially as you just had a teammate sent off as well, and you're kind of backs against the wall with um, Fiorentina getting back into the game. Like it was bizarre, like absolutely mm-hmm. bizarre. And I do think there is sometimes. I think Jose's teams have always not like peak Jose or prime Jose, but since then where it's not worked out so much, there has been always been like instance like that where it's like one player almost just has to show right, I'm up for the fight. Almost it's just like mm-hmm. you're just gonna let you let your teammates down and they were lucky to kind of get away with a point in the end because Fiorentina had yeah. a lot of good, you know, not quality chances in the second half, but constant balls coming into the box. And that's obviously where they scored from as well. That's a really good ball and a really good header. Yeah. Mm. I love those kind of, I think those goals are almost like the most, sat, sometimes the most satisfying yeah, yeah. little yeah. little flick on to help it in on its way to the goal. And that was, that was really good. But yeah, it was just, just out of character for Lukaku, I think a little bit, despite mm-hmm. everything that he's kind of, I say gone through in the last few years, but you know, kind of to an extent, maybe brought on himself. Yeah, put himself um, through. I think it's probably yeah, the I right think that's really more accurate. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give him too much credit, but like he's just yeah. He um, it was a yeah terrible terrible tackle. I thought the you know the first red card was like that was a poor challenge for the second yellow, but yeah, you yeah, can kind definitely. of you know like. But this one was ridiculous. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. I couldn't believe, honestly, when I saw it, I was like, what the freak are you doing, Rom? He always keeps you on your toes. You never know what he's going to do next. Um, <laughs> yeah, but elsewhere, away. elsewhere in Serie A, Lazio continued their Scudetto charge uh, with a one-all <laughs> win away, a one-all draw even, away to Verona. Thomas Henry again getting the late yeah. equaliser. Great team still scoring. Andre Duda, not the ex-Polish president. I'm pretty sure that was his name, right? The <laughs> Polish president. It was the one Polish of them, yeah. Um, but he got sent off and Napoli were unable to take... Uh, Lazio were unable to take advantage. So can you get in a first goal in what feels like a while? Um, Frosinone drew 0-0 with Torino. But um, Monza <laughs> got back to winning ways, winning 1-0 against Genoa. Danny Motta scoring in the 83rd minute, yeah. leaving it late there in Monza. But a game that did catch my eye a little bit. Um, I don't know if you saw any of this, Adam, was Salernitana 1, Bologna 2, Joshua yes. Xerxes. We need to be excited about this Again. guy. He's getting a few goals now. Yeah, we should we should really keep an eye on him. Obviously, bought in from Bayern Munich. Um, mm-hmm. Really tipped to be something of a big thing. But obviously, he just needs to mature. And I think with Thiago Motta in charge, especially with Bologna, he seems to have a knack with these players at the moment and playing some fantastic stuff. We knew they would push on from last season. They did really well. Um, I'm just surprised no one's really kind of gone in for Thiago Motta at this stage. Um, mm. You know, there's a few clubs that could do with him. Obviously, there's quoted that Napoli were set to offer him a role, but he uh, asked who was going to be the director of football. And De Laurentiis said, you don't need a director of football. You've got me. So there you go. He made his decision up and he wasn't going to join Napoli. Yeah, basically. So that was the end of that conversation. But he will he will get a good job. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the fear factor would be that if Allegri does get pushed on, that he might go to Juventus eventually. But I can't see that being an ex-Inter player. I can't see that happening. No. 
in a, a treble winner with Inter. I think he's waiting for whenever Inzaghi departs yeah. with his Scudetto or whatever. I think he's going to be there. But Xerxes, seven goals and two assists this season. Um, the guy's only 22 years old. As you said, a lot of promise. Kind of petered out a bit. Ended up on Palmer on loan. Still didn't look yeah. great. But great to see him leading the line for Bologna. We said at the beginning of the season, if he gets minutes and he's trusted there with that number nine mm-hmm. shirt or whatever, just he will absolutely get goals. Um, Selena Tana, just absolutely fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, Federico Fatio getting sent off in the 92nd minute, because why not? Um, and today, Empoli have drawn one all with Lecce. Um, Hansa Raffia, own goal. Usually, he's, he's usually scoring at the right end, but he scored at the yeah, wrong end this me. week. Um, and Cagliari have just massive win. Oh my God, they always yeah. leave it late. Beating Sassuolo 2 1. Lapadula in the 94th. And again, Pavoletti. He got the winner against Fra- uh, Frosinone yes. in that mental game. Um, Pavoletti, again, absolute legend down at Cagliari. He's been there for years, getting the winner in the 99th minute. Um, Trasoldi sent off for Sassuolo in the 62nd. Huge win for Cagliari. That it feels like it's been a while since they've won. So absolutely massive for them. Um, and that keeps it towards the bottom. Cagliari are now out of the relegation zone. The bottom yeah. three, we have Empoli, Verona, and of course, Salernitana. Um, and the top four race is far too tight to even talk about. Um, tenth, Lazio, 21 points. Roma have got 25 in fourth. So any of yes. those teams could qualify this year. Lazio, you can still do it. Don't make me look like an idiot. <laughs> At least get Europe, please. Um, but guys, that is said, yeah, for this week, we do have Champions League football this week. Um, ben, any games you're looking forward to? Arsenal have already qualified. I don't really care. But any games you're looking forward to? Yeah, uh, Man United, Bayern Munich tomorrow night. I think that's oh, going to be a fun one. I think four. especially off the back of Bayern getting trounced 5-1 by yeah. Frankfurt in the weekend mm-hmm. as well. Like, I know Bayern are already through and through as group winners as well. Mm-hmm. So be interesting to see if um, Tuchel changes it or maybe he'll go out with a point to prove after the result of the weekend. So that could be very, very interesting tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to that one. And then mm. Newcastle-Milan as well on Wednesday will be very interesting because I think – I was thinking it when you were talking about uh, Milan in terms of how they could approach the game on Wednesday. And, um, and it's almost like you do feel like there's a sense that maybe – with Newcastle, I kind of feel like the occasional lever really – inspire them to get that result that they need. Obviously, they need Dortmund to beat PSG as well, which could happen. I mean, Dortmund have been the form team in that group. PSG haven't convinced me at all in any of the games I've watched this season. So that could happen, and Newcastle could find themselves in a position where they're going through. But it also kind of feels like that. Yeah, that atmosphere, I think, could really rally them, or I think it could almost get to them a little bit, and they Mm -hmm. could maybe freeze. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Milan capitalising on that. Um, And obviously, they need the result as well. So it'll be... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that those are the two. I mean, those are kind of the obvious standout ones, but um, those are the ones I'll definitely be watching this week. Nice. Adam, putting you on the spot, any hipster choices for the games? I'm kind of yeah, thinking I'll... Atletico Madrid Lazio might be an interesting one. No, I'll, I'm, I'm going to call this one. It's FC Porto versus Shatka Donetsk. Oh, so in that group, Shatka have got to go and win and uh, they will overtake Porto to qualify for the next stage of the oh. Champions League, which would be amazing given the kind of conditions etc for Shatka. um so goal difference wise though Porto are ahead by five goals um so yeah a draw is not enough needs yeah. to be a full win by Shatska Donetsk but Porto obviously not being assured themselves they can't afford to just sit back right so they need mm-hmm. to win this game so 
I think that's going to be a hell of a match to watch out for. And I'm hoping Shatska can just be resilient and maybe score on the counter-attack and then hold back and do Mourinho stuff. So, yeah, let's wait and see. But that's the one I'd keep an eye out for, definitely. Nice. I'm also just going to super quickly throw in Copenhagen and Galatasaray because both of those teams are fighting for qualification. And I think there could be goals flying in in that game, um, as well as some full-blooded tackles, I imagine, from Galatasaray. (laughs) So I think that could be a really interesting game and one to keep an eye on. I'll definitely have the European goal show on, I imagine, uh, to keep an eye on all of them. But, guys... Viewers, listeners, thank you for joining us. It's been a bumper episode. There's a lot to talk about. Hey, um, mm. thanks for joining us. Uh, hit the like and subscribe button down here. If you're on your podco- podcast app of choice, give us a like and a rating, etc. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Um, and I think that's everything. Adam, anything to say before we go? No, that's it. Enjoy your football. See you later. Thanks, Ben. As always, great to have you on. Um, and yeah, bye, guys. Pleasure. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.